Breakfast Business with Enterprise Ireland on News Talk. On Saturday, it'll be two years since Russia's illegal invasion of Ukraine. In response, the EU and many Western nations impose swinging sanctions to cripple the Russian economy. And yet the IMF reckons that Russia will grow by 2.6% this year, much faster than many European nations. So what's going on? David O'Sullivan is the EU envoy monitoring sanctions against Russia and joins us from Kuala Lumpur in uh, Malaysia. Good morning. Good morning, David. Good afternoon, I should say. Well, good morning to you. Yes, Joe. Um, David, so do you think the sanctions regime is working? Very definitely. I mean, of course, we've all seen those IMF growth figures, but they are completely artificial. Uh, This is an economy, a war economy on steroids with uh, cannibalizing the productive sections, sectors of the economy, such as education or social welfare or research, and and taking that money and putting it into tanks and missiles, which end up on the battlefield. So the the growth figures are disguise uh, a a deep underlying malaise in the Russian economy, uh, what was previously Previously, a hefty government surplus is now a deficit. They're spending 30% of public spending on defense, nearly 6 to 8% of GDP. Um, there's no investment. A thousand foreign companies have left. Uh, the labor market is in deep trouble with the, the brightest and best having left and the mobilization having sucked unskilled labor out of the, uh, the, the, the economy into the military. So I think the, the, the prognosis for the Russian economy is extremely poor and those figures uh, of the growth are, are entirely misleading. Now, um, circumvention of, of sanctions is a major problem. Um, and we've been speaking to a lot of people about that this week. Um, German export of car and car parts, for example, to Kyrgyzstan, which is a tiny economy, uh, is up 5,000% from where it was before the invasion. That is clearly a sign that German companies don't care. They're shipping to Kyrgyzstan, which is then passing it on to the Russians. Well, I, I think, firstly, when you have sanctions, you have circumvention, right? There is absolutely no point in trying to pretend that you will have uh, the absolute uh, enforcement of sanctions. Secondly, you know, the, the examples which are sometimes cited, such as cars, uh, we have, of course, put sanctions on the export of luxury cars. But honestly, these are not the most important parts of our sanctions regime. Uh, the fact that Russians can continue to buy expensive German cars uh, at inflated prices uh, doesn't necessarily change the fundamental objective of the uh, sanctions, which is to deprive Russia of the revenue of the of the technology needed to make sophisticated military equipment and of the revenue to fund the war. Of course, we are looking into these uh, cases of of, of, of of the possible evasion or circumvention of sanctions. But I think you the, sometimes people get distracted by these kind of stories instead of looking at the fundamentals of what we're trying to achieve. Well, um, but when it comes to powers, you have powers to act Uh, or member states have powers to act within the European Union, but you have no legal powers to act on countries like Kyrgyzstan or any country in, in the Caucasus that is circumventing sanctions. No, but we have had uh, very constructive dialogues with these with these countries, and uh, we particularly on the issue of advanced technology uh, exports to Russia, uh, the, those goods which we know go into missiles and drones and artillery shells. And there we have been very successful in persuading nearly all of the countries in that region and others besides uh, to stop the re-export of these goods. So where we can demonstrate uh, to these countries that there is actual real damage as a result of this trade, uh, they They've, been, they've actually been quite responsive. 
Right. Now, exports uh, from the EU to Russia, it, they did fall like a stone uh, when, the, when the sanctions regime came into force, but they, they soared in many other countries. Could the EU not literally shut down some of these countries' economies overnight because of this circumvention? Um, we, ha- we know they have great uh, economic power, um, but it doesn't appear to be used. And the other question is, why is the EU not acting uh, against Greek ship owners who allow their tankers to be used for, with, to support Russian fuel tra- exports? Well, on the oil exports, Joe, I think it's very important to understand that we did not have a complete embargo on the sale of Russian oil. Mm. We have allowed Russian oil to continue to flow because we didn't want to disrupt the supplies to the global south and to the developing world. Uh, So Greek ships who are transporting this oil are doing so perfectly legally. They're not in breach of sanctions, but they have to make sure that they respect the price cap of $60 a barrel, which effectively caps the amount of revenue that Russia can earn from this. And the gap between the price now of Russian uh, oil and uh, uh, oil on the open market is widening. So Russia is, is, is losing revenue. So that's the important point. We don't necessarily mind if European carriers legally transport this, this oil. The important thing is that we hit the revenue. Okay. Um, the EU has started taking action against Indian and Chinese importers. Tell us a little bit more about that. Well, we, we, when we uh, look at trade flows, if we identify companies who are facilitating uh, the circumvention, particularly of our advanced technology uh, sanctions, uh, we have the ability to, to create, to make it legally impossible for European companies to sell these products to these, to these companies. And this is what we're doing in the latest package, which has been agreed yesterday and which will be formally, I think, published and, and decided, uh, on Friday. Um, and we have listed, we will list a number of, of, of country, of companies in, in third countries who, who we believe are facilitating the circumvention of our sanctions. And it will become impossible for European tech companies to sell these goods to those, to those companies. Uh, you've spoken in the past that you think that the Russian economy will slowly deflate rather than crash and burn uh, overnight. Yeah, I, I, I think we are looking indeed at a slow puncture rather than a blowout. But the, 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 the air is escaping from the tire. And it is, you know, I do believe that there is a, an economic reckoning coming for the Russian economy uh, sometime in the next 12 to 18 months. Uh, the, 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 the ruble has lost 40% of its value. There's a lot of tension in the management of the Russian economy. The central bank wants to keep interest rates high. Inflation is running very high. The government would like to cut interest rates and is, is pumping a, a sort of public money into the economy to keep it artificially afloat. But sooner or later, this is going to become unsustainable. And I think uh, Russia will face a, a major economic crisis. Do you worry that time might run out for the Ukrainians in that time? Well, obviously, uh, you know, the, we, we, we hope that in the meantime, uh, the issues of, of military assistance to Ukraine and macroeconomic assistance to Ukraine uh, will help uh, deal help the Ukrainians face the very difficult challenge. And, and we see what's happening on the battlefield. And every day the Ukrainians are suffering. But uh, I, I think the, the pressure which is coming on Russia from all angles, both militarily with the economic assistance to Ukraine and the sanctions, is ultimately going to make this war unsustainable for Russia to maintain. David, thank you very much for your time. Uh, That's David O'Sullivan, the EU Special Envoy, monitoring sanctions against Russia. Breakfast Business with Enterprise Ireland on News Talk.